In a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers Podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. So welcome to the Oil & Gas Global Network's Digital Doers Podcast. And just like the guy said in the introduction, I'm your host, Joanne Meyer. And I'm here today with a really fascinating uh, person. So I'm excited to uh, to get a chance and get to talking to Vicky Knott. Uh, but before I do that and get to do the all the fun stuff, I also want to um, say thank you to some folks and certainly to our sponsor, which is HPE. And if you get a chance, go to their website hpe.com, take a look at one of their newer platforms, which is called GreenLake. And what GreenLake does is it creates this easy-to-use cloud experience regardless of where you may need your cloud uh, services. So whether it's uh, at your edges, at co-locations, uh, wherever you need it, that's what uh, uh, GreenLake is all about, is helping you have that cloud experience, even if you uh, have an on-cloud, or sorry, an on-premise cloud. So uh, take a look at them, and thanks again. They make it possible so we can talk with folks like Vicki. Uh, this is the Oil & Gas Global Network, and uh, we are the largest network of oil and gas podcasts with about 15 but Vicky today is here on the Digital Doers, and so I'd like to invisit, uh, um, uh, introduce Vicky. She is the co-founder and CEO of Crux OCM, and so welcome, Vicky. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So, would you like me to to give a little overview of what Crux OCM is? I would, and also to hear a little bit about about you and your background. Absolutely. Cool. Okay. We'll go first into what Crux is. So, um, so Crux is a software company. So we are a tech company servicing the oil and gas industry as our first target market. We've built software to fully automate how control room operators execute their procedures, checklists, and rules of thumb in the control room. So, you know, your, your control room operator sitting there, they've got their piece of paper, they're going to do an oil pipeline startup. Well, instead of executing the hundreds to thousands of commands, they can set their target flow rate, and the, and the whole asset will will start up with with software. So um, so that's what we do. Um, you know, the value obviously to to companies is a, a much more consistent operation, um, a much more auditable operation. All of your control room operators the same are the same, and then uh, enhanced volumetric throughput on the assets. So we call it robotic industrial process automation. Because it's like RPA, um, you know, it's automating human workflows, but, uh, you know, obviously uh, oil and gas assets have a bit more complexity behind the dynamics um, of how they actually work. So, uh, so the underlying technologies, you know, we have to use control systems, we have to use ML, uh, transient physics, um, all that good stuff. So, yeah, so that's, that's what we do. Um, and then, yeah, I guess where would you like me to start, Joanne, with, uh, with some background? Well, I guess what's what I really like about this story, and is that um, you know a little bit about the topic. I know and, a little bit. Uh, 
Yeah. And you were trying to solve some problems, challenges, uh, difficult situations that you experienced when you started this company. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so background, you know, I'm a chemical engineer, lots of us in the oil and gas, uh, in the oil and gas industry started in pulp and paper. So we got real familiar with, um, with control systems and, and actually worked labor on pulp and paper machines first. So, so I, I started my career with this like real fundamental, like I need to be able to operate this asset to be able to be an engineer, because if I don't know how to operate it, like I'm not providing value. Um, so I took that into oil and gas when I went into oil and gas, and I, um, I actually trained as a control room operator for uh, one of the world's biggest batch pipelines or longest batch pipelines. Um, so while doing that, really, you know, came to, to understand just how big the, um, I guess the, the gap is <laughs> between engineers who think they know how the assets work and and the control room operators who actually operate the assets. Um, and then understanding, you know, all these fantastic optimization projects that people do, they, they're so focused on the equipment and never focused on how the person actually interacts with the equipment. So that was the big gap that I was seeing. And then it was like, you know, you see, because I was on oil pipelines, there's this thing called um, your, some companies call it your natural reduction factor. So it's just the differences between your control room operators. You know, some like to operate a little more aggressive than others. And it's this just like completely uncaptured value for the companies, right? Like folks will say we meet 100% of our contract commitments on these pipelines. And it's like, yeah, but 100% of your contract commitments isn't 100% of your pipeline utilization. So, so closing that gap, um, you know, both from from an economic standpoint and then from your performance and, and your control room operators, like if you take care of them, they can actually close that gap and they can actually get that performance of those assets, right? They're the folks that are pushing the buttons every day. So, so I was really inspired to, to make sure that, that those folks are getting the tools that they need to succeed um, because whether we like it or not, they're the front lines that are actually executing. Yeah, I think that's a, I really like how you, you know, phrase that, that, and you're right, often the improvement that gets focused on is in the equipment or in the process flow. Um, and it's not often, uh, you know, around the, the people, right. And yeah. all of the things that they have to do when, when you and I talked, um, earlier, I was quite surprised. Um, so my background is in the upstream space, mm -hmm. right? And I know a whole lot less about the midstream sector and, and pipelines. But I had some assumptions that that work uh, in a control room um, operating a pipeline, I had this assumption that that was a pretty stable, static kind of atmosphere most of the time. And you were talking to me about really how much variation exists daily, it sounded like, um, in, in starting up, shutting down, making adjustments, whatever. So talk a little bit about how that impacted uh, your decision to, to, to launch something like Crux OCM. Yeah. So, um, from my, you know, previous career as a junior operations engineer, <laughs> you know, I pulled I pulled all the historical data, and and on average, um, some of these big trunk pipelines they shut down two to three times a week, right? Yeah. Um, and folks are and just then, not aware of that. Yeah, and then I think somewhere uh, you mentioned that that the startup and maybe the shutdown as well, but the startup might take hundreds or a thousand different steps. 
to actually bring it up or shut it down. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the big line that I worked on um, and the data that I pulled, so it shut down two, three times a week, took three hours to restart and 1,100 commands. Um, yeah. It's amazing. astronomical, right? So it's it's someone sitting there with a mouse, clicking around, you know, starting pumps, changing pressure set points, like monitoring at the same time. Like when when I was on the console, just even on the training console, uh, the simulator, like I broke a sweat starting it. So can you imagine uh. if you're doing that and then the phone rings and then the boss comes into the control room, like, are, like do you feel that that person is set up for success? And what success means is straight top line or bottom line, however you want to call it, revenue, right? Like setting that person up for success is, is extremely important. Right. Right. Yeah. I thought that that was very enlightening to me. I just had no idea um, how intensive that was. And so, you know, it's just like, I think uh, on your website, it uh, you talk about what your software solutions are able to do, and it compares it a little bit, not to, re- you're not replacing the control room operators. Yeah. You compare it a little bit to autopilot. Yeah. Uh, for an airline. Yeah, I- exactly. Um, so like, and and I think then this is where there's even more complexity to add a little more to the previous comment in the dynamics of pipeline. If you're, if you're working with a batched oil pipeline, you're constantly changing your, your pilot is constantly changing set points. Um, so yeah, so how, how I like to compare it is, um, you know, and I think that this is really impactful to a lot of folks who are like, oh no, but we need a person operating this. It's not safe if they're not. And then I like to say to them, would you get in a plane to fly from Calgary to Houston without autopilot software. It's like, no, you wouldn't. You need, you want the pilot, like for sure you want the pilot, but you, you don't want that pilot to not have autopilot software. Cause if they're, you know, landing in Houston and something's going wrong, you don't want the person who's been like at the control stressed out for the last four hours. You want the person who's chill and relaxed and like, oh, something's going wrong. Okay. I've got my training. I'm fresh. I'm ready. I'm going to land this plane. That's the person that you want. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's like you you'd like for the person that's in charge, if you will, to be in a good position to respond appropriately when something doesn't go as planned, yep. as opposed to being so consumed just maintaining the status quo yep. that you're you don't have that ability to to kind of continually be scanning the horizon, if you will, and seeing what me what might be coming. Exactly. Yeah. And like and the regulators are aware of this. You know, FIMSA has control room management regulation around fatigue and what's acceptable and and you know and, and encouraging um, operators to make sure that they're addressing fatigue. And so because fatigue is the leading cause of safety and environmental incidents in pipeline. So, you know, a control room operator being overworked is fatigue. And so, so, you know, a software solution to automate how they execute that stuff, it directly alleviates fatigue. So there's, there's a safety and environmental, um, you know, positive here as well from, from automating this stuff. Yeah, that's, that's great. You also mentioned, I think just a little earlier, uh, something about, um, that all, um, control room operators, just like all engineers and all executives, they aren't all the same. Correct. And <laughs> we all bring our, some of our biases and we then we put some historical experience with it, which causes us to believe that um, that set point at this level versus another um, is, is of greater benefit. 
I know back in, uh, when I uh, had uh, was a man like a manager of operations, we sometimes struggled a little bit at, at shift change because we yeah. would have operators who, you know, the the day operator thought that set point should be, you know, at at A, and when the the relief came for the night shift, they they thought it was a little better at A and a half or or B. And so we always said sometimes that caused slight upsets of some kind just from tampering. And so it strikes me that something like uh, Crux OCM can help moderate a little bit of that um, as well as it's going to give you some of that data to maybe be able to make the case of which of those set points is ideal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's which one's ideal and then holding to that ideal, right? Um, so we're just uh, finishing up on the commercialization of uh, an add-on called MaxOpt, and, and it's constantly seeking the max throughput on the pipeline. So as you're moving batches through an oil pipeline, you know, your bottleneck or your hydraulic constraint moves um, dynamically. And so that means that your your flow rate will be fluctuating. Your max fl- achievable flow rate can be fluctuating ever so slightly. And instead of your control room operator, you know, constantly keeping an eye on it and trying to figure out where that bottleneck is and keep hitting max rates, the software can do it for them. Um, so it's it's moving around where the uh, where the max uh, the max flow rate is and making sure it's always maintaining it. So yeah, so it's not up to it's taking it out of the control room operator's hands and and taking it out of their, you know, their um I feel like this set point's better than that set point. It's yeah. it's making sure it's actually correct. Uh, you know, uh, your your software, your your product has the ability probably to be a little better informed. Yes. Yes. That's just a fact. Nothing against the the human control room operator, but but it can take in a whole lot of data a lot faster and and get the insights from that. Well, and letting them answer that phone call, right? Letting them talk to oil scheduling, um, you know, and and doing the stuff that's actually really high value for the business, right? Like, you know, what if a trade just happened and they've got to make sure that they're ready to go from one delivery location to another, right? Like that's the real high value stuff that they need to be on the phone with oil scheduling for, not, you know, executing these set points, right? Yeah. Excellent. I, I, I completely agree with you. So Vicki, I, I realize that you probably don't spend all of your time uh, studying your website, but um, I was hoping you might share with uh, the folks listening uh, the comparison on your website that that compares kind of the control room and what a control room operator would do kind of compares to the automobile, the evolution of the automobile and how we as drivers, what we do has changed over time. Yeah, yeah. So that one, you know, we we wind back in time. So post horse and buggy and, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard of the innovation story of you know, if folks had asked people at the time what they wanted or if they wanted a car, they would have said, no, I wanted a faster horse. So we'll go past that <laughs> into the car. And, uh, you know, in the evolution of the car, if you think about it, people used to have to crank to get them going. There was no, there was no, you know, and then we moved and there's um, automa- like automatic steering, you know, no more manual clutch. Like people still like driving them and that's great. But now we have automatic transmission. So, you know, we've got the wipers, we've got all, like now we have um, backup cameras that help us parallel park. So if you draw the the parallel to control room operations for oil and gas, you know, there used to be folks, if you think of oil pipelines, 
folks used to have to drive to the pump station to to make the changes to you know increase throughput. Um, then you know the automation and telemetry happened such that you could operate these assets remote. So you know now we're in the evolution of SCADA systems or DCS systems, so supervisory control and data acquisition or distributed control systems. So then now you know folks are able to sit in their car, I guess, <laughs> and uh, and operate and. Um, and so, so, you know, that brought with it a lot of a lot of efficiencies, and you know, and that leap was was hard for folks at that time too, right? Like we look back and hindsight's twenty twenty, and it makes perfect sense. Right. But uh, but you know, the next leap is you know automating this stuff. So you know, we're we're working hard on autonomous vehicles and driverless cars, and and you know, I don't know if we're ever get to driverless, but we'll get to the point where you know, like we are with planes, you've got autopilot software that's operating it. And that's really the next evolution in control room as well, is you've got that layer of automation that um, that really helps out the control room operator, you know, making everything safer and more efficient. So we've already seen that type of progression in this industry. Um, and this is just the next evolution of it. So I think that that's a great way for folks to to frame the thinking. You know, it's yep. we're seeing it in, we've seen it in planes, we've seen it in cars, we've already seen right. it in oil and gas. This is nothing new. It's, it's just right. more. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I really, I really liked that, uh, that, that, that analogy, I think that explains, uh, and also, you know, j- just the fact that your capability I- is increasing so dramatically with the help of some automation and some tools, uh, you know, just what you can actually do uh, yeah. is is really increasing. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's just increasing capability. Um, so, you know, it's easy to go knee jerk reaction automations, taking away our jobs, but, but that's not the case at all. Right. Like, um, the goal is to make people more effective at their jobs and, and take away the stuff that's more meaning, meaning, more menial or boring, right? Like Mm -hmm. stuff that becomes repetitive and, and humans are not great at repetitive tasks. That's where we make mistakes and that's where accidents happen. So how can we automate that out and, and leave humans with the higher executive function that we're really good at? Right. 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 And that for many people, uh, creates a more fulfilling work and career. It absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely uh, does. Okay. So you were um, a control room a junior operator. I can't remember your training. Yeah. <laughs> never, never OQ'd. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so what did you just say one day? You said, gosh, I'm, this is tiring. Uh, I, I think I'll go start a company. So how, how did you make that transition? Yeah, so that's that's an interesting transition. Um, I, you know, I was was working and, and like I loved working with the control room folks. Um, you know, they're great friends to this day. Ran into a bunch of them at, at the API conference a couple of weeks ago. It was awesome. Um, so I, I loved being there with them. And then, um, you know, like big, big oil and gas companies, they're in the business of moving oil and gas safely and efficiently, right? Like that's what they do and that's what they do great. So innovation in terms of like building software solutions inside of these companies can be very challenging, right? Like how do you get the business case through? Um, What's the ROI? Like we're typically, you know, oil and gas companies are familiar with uh, analyzing ROI for a new pipeline, not for a software uh, build. And then if you think about it too, from inside of a, a big oil and gas company, like you've got someone who makes some really cool software scripts. As soon as they move on to a new role, who's going to maintain that stuff, even if it's providing value? So it's so needless to say, it was difficult for me to, as a junior engineer, to get buy-in to build something like this inside of uh, a large company. And um, I had met my co-founder, Roger Shirt who is a bit of a legend in the oil pipelines world. So um, multiple papers co-authored with uh, one of North America's biggest pipeline companies. 
Um, he wrote their pipeline process control standards, which they follow to today. Um, and he's got algorithms in, I believe, over 2,000 sites, pump station sites across North America. Wow. So I met him. I started like, you know, needling him. I was like, hey, I think we can do this thing. Like, what do you think? And and of course, you know, we we tried the the in-house um, and that that didn't work, I think, for great reasons. And right. then, um, you know, we I uh, I actually um, was working with a career counselor. So uh, <laughs> we'll get vulnerable now. Um, I was working with a career counselor because um, as an engineer, I really wasn't satisfied in my role. And I didn't know why. You know, I was only maybe like 26 years old and, you know, I'd gone to school and I thought this is what I wanted to do and I didn't like it. So, so I did a bunch of um, actually psychological assessments, all of which pointed to um, an entrepreneurial path would be much more fulfilling for me um, and took a lot of courage to, to do it, um, an astronomical amount of courage because as a young female engineer, which there aren't that many, <laughs> you're, you're not really told that you can be an entrepreneur, right? Like that's not really something that, um, that is, you know, ingrained in you as a child, we'll say. So, so yeah, I had to overcome a lot of those internal barriers myself um, with the, the help of some great coaching. And, uh, and you know, I had a, a great co-founder lined up who was pretty excited to, to give this a try and try something new since he'd been consulting in the industry for so long. So we decided to, to give it a go. And I had some great, um, you know, some great support at home at the time to be able to do it. You know, this stuff, like I didn't, I wasn't able to pay myself for two and a half years. That's something that, um, you know, we talked a little bit about it, Joanne, of, you know, people yeah. think entrepreneur and they glamorize it, but they don't realize like the actual gritty nuts and bolts of it. Two and a half years, I had people telling me that I was crazy and I didn't have a salary. So, you know, <laughs> now it's great. I'm here on the OGGN podcast. It's it's awesome. It's exciting, but that's not how it feels for a very long time. For a long time. Yeah. What? A, thank you so much for that honesty. So as a female engineer, a girl engineer from a lot longer ago than, than you, um, uh, certainly your, your era, but you know, I, I experienced a little bit of that myself. I'm right? sure. Yeah. And, and also kind of took some leaps where a lot of people said I'd lost my mind. And there were times when I thought I'd lost my mind, but yep. I think that's a, a great, um, there are so many more opportunities I think today yes. for, for young women to be a little crazy. And also, I also wonder and think that perhaps the industry itself is beginning to recognize, or perhaps beyond just beginning to recognize, um, the fact that there are many ways to work together, yes. uh, many ideas, many styles, and um, embracing some of that, which might make it a little easier for for young women engineers um, to not necessarily feel like uh, that maybe they aren't a good fit. Maybe there's yeah. a little more acceptance for the difference. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and I, and totally I love that. that. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, I totally agree with that statement. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. you know, I maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, it wouldn't be possible for me to be doing this. So the, the industry is definitely evolving in a great way. Yeah. Um, and even some of the larger corporations, I hope, there's beginning to be this recognition that perhaps there's real value in the the engineer that doesn't fit the exact mold of all of these other engineers and would like to take some different approaches and perhaps have a workplace that's a little more accepting. I don't know, but I'm, I'm hopeful and I think that maybe is the case. Yeah. Um, and I think spinning out too, right? Like spinning out and, and starting a company outside, like 
So the way that the industry benefits from, you know, companies like Crux is we're a tech company. So we're able to recruit and we're venture capital back. So we're able to recruit top tech talent, right? Which the industry can't currently recruit. And the industry is struggling to recruit younger talent. And we're, you know, a trendy tech company. So we can recruit that talent. <laughs> so then when the ener- then when the energy industry hires a company like us, they get the talent that they're losing or that they're not able to keep and re- retain. So it's another no. way to to really keep keep the industry moving forward just in a different way. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. And and you're right. I think the industry is struggling. And and actually, um, I talked to uh, one of our earlier episodes, I talked to a young man who was a petroleum engineer and uh, n- graduated with his degree and I don't think worked one day as a petroleum engineer. He went to work for one of the large, well, he went to work for Chevron um, in their IT organization. Oh, uh, he he d- didn't do that very long until he left and went to a big social media company that if I said their name, everybody would know in, yeah. in doing more tech stuff. And now he's doing tech stuff, but we talked about how tough it is to hold on to some te- top tech talent and, and why. Yeah. And uh, so I think you're right. It's uh, being a little more creative about how we're going to be able to attract and retain some of this talent in the industry. Yeah. In the industry, not, not in, in the, the company. Same. Not yeah. might not be in the same ways. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good, really good point. And so um, now you've got a partner, and you've decided we're going to co-founder, and we're going to we're going to go out and we're going to do these really great things. And uh, you had to talk to a lot of folks, and um, but talk a little bit about what it was like to have be working with a man, a a man and woman out there starting this tech company. How was that? Yeah. So it's been super fun. So Roger's 21 years, my senior dating him (laughs) or making me sound a lot younger than I am, but whatever we can go with either or. Um, Yeah. He and I, like he was consulting at the company that I was at and we just really enjoyed working together. It was like the dynamic was so much fun. And so we talked about me working at his consulting company and then we brought up this idea of doing this. Um, So actually we've been working together now almost 10 years because we worked together for years before we actually started the company. Um, the dynamic is fantastic. And there's actually, um, in the venture capital world out of Silicon Valley, there's a whole slew of data um, from uh, from one venture capital firm um, called First Round Capital that's around um, how female male co-founding uh, partners uh, that start tech startups are actually the most, uh, the most successful. So the most capital efficient, uh, the highest returns. So that's kind of an interesting data point that a lot of folks don't really realize because, you know, you think tech company, you think like 25-year-old guy in a hoodie. Um, <laughs> but that's actually, right? <laughs> but that's actually the the ones who are, you know, on average are, are outperforming and getting, you know, bringing the coolest ideas, making the biggest impact, making the most valuable companies is actually the male and female co-founding pair. So so folks like myself and Roger that come from very different backgrounds, you know, Roger's a PhD in chemical and electrical engineering, right? Like wow. we just like, you know, stick him in the hole and he'll toil away with the math. And then I'm the one who, <laughs> who wants to go out and talk to everybody and, and wants to hang out with control room operators, right? And you stick the two of us together and, and we can make something really cool. Yeah. Well, clearly that sounds, and that's, that's an amazing statistic. Yeah, that's, that's, we need to publicize that more, right? We need to have billboards and things. Um, And I think, (laughs) yeah, yeah, okay, great to the study. That'd be great. In fact, send it and then I'll put it in the, uh, in the show notes. 
Oh, that'll so be so other people, fun. Yeah, I'll absolutely yeah, do so that. that. So that people can actually, because I, I think that's a great idea. And like I said, I think we need we need billboards. Um, I think it's a it's a huge um, uh, endorsement, I guess, even of uh, uh, diversity and inclusion, right? And yeah. at at its purest sense, right? Not just mm-hmm. from a gender standpoint, uh, but from an educational standpoint, from a, a an age difference yep. from I, uh, the different ways of thinking, right? Like you said, you know, uh, is, sorry, your your co-founder's name is Roger? Roger. Yeah. Yeah. Roger, uh, like you said, he loves to go and toil away and all kinds of great things happen. And you like to kind of run out and talk to folks and see what they think about that. Yeah. And then I can yeah. bring it back to him. And then, you know, through the two of us iterating, we, can, yep. we yep. can make the solutions happen. So it's, yeah, it's been super fun. Like, and so um, you mentioned, and we talked, that control rooms, other parts of the industry have control rooms other than pipelines. So are you getting any traction? Are you talking to folks, you know, either upstream or downstream of the pipeline? Yeah, we actually have uh, lots of inbounds. So we are still, you know, refining our product right now for our first commercial offering. Um, you know, we're we're well on the way. Uh, we've got a, a, and we have a press release coming real soon about some some production ready software. Okay, so that's so exciting. We'll, yeah. we'll keep you tuned on that one. <laughs> right, um, but yeah, we get to, we've got lots of questions from gathering systems. Um, Gas plants, refining. Um, we've had inbounds actually from coal plants, control rooms. Mm, wow. Just had an inbound uh, inquiry about a control room for power grids. So, so certainly all places that were very interested in applying RIPA or robotic industrial process automation. Um, you know, we just as a company, we've got to be we've got to be pragmatic. We've got to we've got to execute and, and get get our oil pipeline customers up and running. You know, make sure that they they're loving the product. Um, and that it's giving them the value that they want. And then we're, we're super keen to, to move around to, you know, whoever wants us the most next. So maybe gas transmission line, maybe gathering systems, but we're certainly looking for partners in these other, in these other sectors that would be interesting and in, interested in commercializing with us. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it sounds, I just sounds really interesting. I know just enough about control rooms, you know, to kind of be well, to be ignorant, to not know, but I, I know I know a lot about what I don't know. Um, but I think this is really fascinating. I think it's a huge uh, opportunity. Um, I remember also one of the big challenges, even back in the, the day when I was around this a little bit, you know, had to do with alarm management. And yeah. we talk about how busy, you know, these these control room operators can can get. And that was a huge, you know, issue at one point in time. As, as we recognize that we could actually send out alerts and alarms and people could get them on pagers. I know that's a long time ago, but you know, what we, we, what we did then is we just sent everything out. Right. And so you had these folks that were trying to work in the control rooms or operate and they were being, um, uh, you know, attacked, if you will, every yeah. few minutes with a new, uh, alert alarm. And so then you got to this issue of, they don't really know what is an alarm and what is yeah. just, you know, not nice to know. And it just strikes me that what you guys are trying to do with Crux is, is just huge. It's the next evolution of the same concept, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, as we, as technology gets more uh, accessible in these environments, then we accidentally overdo it, <laughs> right? So then how do we simplify it? But, yes. but I love the, the alarm the alarm example. And for folks, you know, who aren't super familiar with control rooms and alarm flooding, imagine if every single app on your phone, you had notifications enabled for all of them. 
you wouldn't care about any of your notifications anymore. What a great example. That's exactly right. And that's yeah, what we put these, yeah, we put these people in, in that position and, and expected them to deal with it. You know? yeah. And it's, yeah. Okay. So I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. And maybe, yeah. maybe you'll come back sometime. I'd um, love to come back sometime. I think we could explore all kinds of areas. Um, so thank you again and best of luck to you and Roger. And we'll be looking for that press release Ooh, we'll soon. Send it to you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Um, and uh, enjoy the cooler temperatures where you are. Yes. In, I, I in recognize Calgary and Houston. So San Francisco yes. right now. <laughs> yes. So much. Uh, we're already in the in the don't know when you know our audience might be listening to this, but we are recording this in a very hot summer day in Houston, and probably a lot less warm up there in San Francisco. Yes, it's beautiful yes. here. All right. <laughs> so thank you again, Vicky, for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is fantastic. Yeah, thanks to all of our listeners. I we really appreciate that you took the time to hit the right keys on your on your keyboard so that you could join us and uh, hear today from Vicki Knott of Crux. And again, go to hpe.com and take a look and learn a little bit about their GreenLake platform. It's all about bringing um, the cloud to you. And uh, they, it does some great things uh, around helping you simplify your IT management uh, with some key features, being able to manage and configure all of your shared services and assets across your uh, entire IT inventory. Particularly helpful if you can look at the consumption and actually see who in your company is using and how is it these, these products and solutions that you've already purchased, are you getting your bang for your buck? So go and take a look at hpe.com. Thank you again. Until next time, thanks again, Vicki, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.